eight wins in a row for the Blue Jays as they sweep back-to-back series against, and this series, against the Chicago White Sox. Welcome back to Section 138, a weekly Blue Jays podcast. I will be your host today, Bryson Poza. Mark, unfortunately, was unable to join us, but Jacob, on the other hand, is back. Jacob, how are you? Doing a lot better knowing this team's winning. Um, <laughs> finally, a Toronto team that can string together some wins, so I'll take it. Absolutely, and it's eight It's eight in a row, like I mentioned. Back-to-back uh, or sweeps uh, coming off against last weekend against the Angels, this weekend against the White Sox. Um, you know, we know pretty much what happened this series. The Blue Jays come in off of a great momentum uh, weekend last weekend in Los Angeles. They come into this series having, I guess, a tough uh, road ahead of them as well. The White Sox, as much as they've been struggling this season, they ha- they are still considered one of the top teams in the AL Central. So the Jays come into the, uh, this week while the offense continues to build off of what they built or what happened last weekend and they continue to translate it we know pretty much what was going on um in terms of standout performances we know that we got good starting pitching is it safe to say or i'll I'll ask you this because mark asked me this last time we recorded my answer may have changed i'll ask you this is it safe to say that you are sold on the offense now i'm gonna give it one more series like i I am like if you were to if you were to ask me like a percentage, I'd say I'm like two thirds of the way there to say that this offense is back, primarily because of the play of Teoscar Hernandez. He had quite a good performance throughout this entire series, offensively and defensively. I think it's fair to say that this offense is almost there. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of guys who are struggling. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run in the second game, obviously. Like he's looked good this series. Bo Bichette looked good this series. Santiago Espinal, his on base percentage, or excuse me, on base streak ended in the previous series, if I'm not mistaken. That is now back. He's doing, you know, he's getting on base. He's doing what this team needs to do. And Kevin Biggio, he's getting on base. He's driving in runs. You know, this team, like it's it's doing well. I think it's fair to say against a, a good team. And I think it was the last episode I was on. I said White Sox are a good team. I don't know if this offense is going to turn things around, and they did. You know, obviously they scored six runs in the first game, seven in the second eight and the third like regardless of how the pitching does obviously if the pitching is absolutely abysmal you're going to lose those games but the the good pitching combined with the good offense that's what we talked about all season long it finally clicked together throughout a good series against a good team I think it's fair to say that this offense is it's very close to being 100% back and I'll be interested to see how things are handled in the next series obviously it is a home series against the Minnesota Twins I think it's a four-gamer I'm a little bit more interested to see how the pitching will respond in that series, if I'm being completely honest, because obviously it's, you know, you can talk about the offense all you want, but you do have Kikuchi, you have Barrios starting against his his former former team, you have Gosman, and then I, uh, actually, yeah, so it's only a three-gamer, excuse me, so you have Barrios, Gosman, and Kikuchi, will be an interesting series, I'm not going to lie, I would like to see if the offense can continue that, because the Twins, like, they're not a good team, they're under 500, they're at the bottom of the, the AL Central, if the offense can continue after this series, I think it's fair to say that it's back. And I believe it was either Matt Chapman, actually, excuse me, it was Alec Manoa. I know, well, both of them said this, but I know it was Alec Manoa gave like a direct quote saying that despite how bad the offense was throughout the last maybe four to six weeks, nobody gave up. It was always a fun mood in the dugout, in the clubhouse, and really everywhere. It's finally translating into on-the-field performances. And honestly, I think it's fair to say that after this three-game series, if things go well, if you're able to just pound out the Twins, offense might be 100% back. And that's exactly what I said on Sunday night when I recorded with Mark that I was I needed to see a little bit more. Mark was completely sold. 
I may be at that stage where he was and be completely sold. I just, I look at the way this team is winning games and this is another topic also is that, you know, the one ro- the one run games still remain, but I made the point that they still, they feel different. You know, these wins feel different because this is a team who's obviously hitting offensively. This is a team who's capitalizing late in the game and that's something that they've been lacking all year. So it feels like the momentum changes they get or the lead changes they get um, towards the end of the game and how they're winning these games, it feels different to me and that's why I don't mind the way they're winning if the one-run games are going to stay. So that's pretty much what I've been looking at and you know you mentioned it too Teoscar Hernandez has been heating up finally showing signs of life ever since coming off the IL uh, early in May from the oblique injury that he was suffering so over the last seven days he's hitting 429 and OPS almost at 1300 we know that he went deep today's game in the Thursday game and in that last seven days he's had four doubles over that span and he's also walking a lot another guy that I wanted to mention was Rymel Tapia I think that he's been very good over the last I guess, weak. Uh, he's been quietly good, and I think this series in particular, he stood out. You know, he had a he was really good on the base pass today on the Thursday game again, and at the plate, he's been a lot much, or he's been much better than what we've been seeing from him over the course of the or the first two months of the season. Um, over the last eighteen games, he's hitting three twenty seven on base percentage, almost at four hundred. Those are pretty much completely different numbers than what we've seen from him early on. He looks a lot more comfortable in the zone kind of looking like what he played with last year, Colorado. He was getting a lot of averages, or he had a high average. He was hitting a lot of base hits. And, of course, he was also not chasing as much, which kind of translates to the on-base percentage. And then another guy I wanted to mention, as you can see, there's a long list of names, and this is obviously a good thing, that you're going through all these guys and they're all contributing in the same way. Alejandro Kirk. I mean, he continues to be one of the best hitters on this lineup. Even during the, I guess, the cold spell of this offense in April and May, he was very, he was quietly good because he wasn't striking out a lot, um, and he was pretty much... You know he was he was walking a lot. The only thing that was stopping him at that time was he wasn't getting a lot of extra base hits. But now, ever since I think the middle point of May, maybe even a little bit before then, he's really turned a corner as well in terms of extra base hits. So his approach, everything like that, remains good. I mean, you saw this series; he was also one of the dominating factors. His strikeout rate is the lowest it's been since he was in the minor leagues, um, and that's the 98th percentile among MLB players, I believe, which is pretty much almost at the top, and pretty much is at the top. His walk rate is also high. To, since you know being in the minor leagues as well um his chasing rate or his whiff rate is also very high so it just gives you all these numbers to show you that his approach has been consistent this year and it continues to be you know the main or I wouldn't say main but one of the most um not consistent but one of the best hitters in the lineup over that span but especially over the past couple of weeks he has been one of the best hitters in the lineup and he's been that guy in the middle of the order I think three for four he went on Friday and he had two home runs which is one of the reasons why they won that game he went two for three with a walk in today's game so it just seems like especially with Teoscar and Nana starting to heat up you know because he's in the cleanup spot we've been waiting for that the middle of the order Clearly, in terms of Kirk, we know that Loris Gurriel Jr. has also been a guy who's been heating up. Matt Chapman is also starting to play a lot better. The numbers in terms of hard hit rates, it's kind of starting to translate because he's been unlucky, and we know that pretty much his batting average and a lot of things have been really low. So it just feels like this lineup, if they can all click, and then you you also have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on the other hand, who is battling right now. Uh, He had a home run in the Wednesday game, but today I believe, uh, or today he wasn't exactly as good at the plate. He's up and down. He's still trying to figure things out. But it just feels like once everyone, even though everyone has already started heating up, plus Flatty, once all these guys potentially heat up at the same time, 
it just feels like this offense truly is going to be unstoppable. I think this might actually be a problem for Charlie Montoyo to deal with because like, here's the thing, the DH spot, obviously this is universal, but, or at least this year, but you primarily were putting Kirk in that DH spot, but I don't see why you don't put Tapia in that DH spot, even if he's hitting ninth. Like I ideally you don't want your, the guy that you're designated to hit be your ninth hitter. But if you can have him hit, if you can have Danny Jansen hit, who I, I think you mentioned, he's heating up a lot. He's honestly like, he's obviously had, ups and downs throughout his career but this season he's honestly looked pretty good he's had a lot of power I think it's fair to say this offense could be and we've said this all season long so I don't want to beat a dead horse but this offense it could be ridiculously crazy and you combine that with a a good rotation a good bullpen or eventually a good bullpen it'll be a it'll be a scary team and the reason why I said it was a problem is because there's only nine guys that you can start each game Yes, it's not like any other sport, or at least like hockey, where like if you're not in the starting lineup, you sit in the press box and eating hot dogs all game. But like basically in hot or in in uh, baseball, it's interesting. Like you in the ninth inning, the eighth inning, you need a pinch hitter. The Blue Jays pretty much have that, and I don't want to necessarily you know go into that very niche of a of a situation. But it's looking like it's going to be a really good maybe 9 to 11 group of of players who can hit and at this point it's either you know you work matchups you say this guy can hit against you know lefties or righties or whatever and you put those in the lineup but I think it's looking like it's going to be a fantastic lineup and we've said this all season long we're just we're, we're waiting for those guys to heat up Teoscar Hernandez is heating up the catchers are heating up like we obviously expected a lot out of Kirk but not a lot necessarily out of Jansen he's heating up Ram Maltapia is heating up you know, this is looking like it's going to be a really crazy offense, I think it's fair to say, and who knows, maybe this series against the Twins, you know, not necessarily the greatest pitching, it, maybe that's what this offense needs to, like, get over that hump, if that makes sense, like, they're not, they're not, they're they're finally not against those really, really good pitchers, or, you know, top of the line teams that have good pitchers, they can finally get a groove on, and and really, you know, run away with it, because now they are, I think in sole possession of uh, of second place in the AL East, and it'll be interesting how Charlie Montoyo uh, you know handles this because ideally Danny Jansen is going to catch most of the games, but you know a guy like Alejandro Kirk is going to hit most of the games. Is he your primary DH, but can also come in and catch if need be? I mean that's fair to say, but then you know is it Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio, who I mentioned has kind of heating up over this series? Like it's it's a good problem to have. I'm just interested to see how, you know, going forward, how this, how basically this group of nine starters, but 11 position players that can take those starting roles will be handled. Yeah. So 30 and 20 currently through the 50 game mark, um, five games back as it stands when we record right now, the Yankees are playing the Angels in a double header. You know, I know that you believe jinxes are real, so I'm going to try and jinx Jamison Tyone, who is currently throwing a perfect game through seven innings against the Angels. So if the Yankees win tonight, it'll be five and a half games. And then, if, of course, if they lose the second game of the, double, the doubleheader, the Jays will be four and a half games back. Eight and two over the last ten. The run differential is over zero. It's in the positives. It's currently at plus nine. Everything in terms of concerns about two weeks ago has quickly faded in the opposite direction. And, of course, even in the Angels series, um, it was pretty much known that the starting pitching 
as much as it's been great all season, and it has been, it's been the I guess carrying this entire team and the reason for them where or the reason for where where they are today without the offense. But in the Angels series, there were a few hiccups, not too overwhelming, you know, not overwhelmingly concern, concerning, but the starting rotation was definitely stronger. The bullpen was really, I think, the main concern over that span. You know, we pretty much since that, we've seen Ryan Barucki. Um, his tenure appears to be done with the Jays. He was DFA'd, bringing up Trent Thornton. So there's been a couple changes in the bullpen. The bullpen in particular in this series also did really or a lot better. And then I think the only miscue they really had was the first game of the series when Trevor Richards pretty much allowed. It was two or three earned runs. Um two or three earned runs pretty much in terms of uh, when he appeared and then the Jays had to yank him really quickly. But other than that, Jordan Romano's getting rest and everyone like that is also getting rest. So it appears that this series, as much as Kevin Gosman, you know, was a little shaky, he was battling a little bit in game one and then Hunjin Ryu, which we're going to get to, also appears to be injured. We don't know how long he's going to be out for, but today in terms of Alec Manoa, that was really um, truly remarkable what we saw from him today, but it shouldn't be surprising at this point and, um, you know, it makes it up for, I guess, any sort of, you know, I wouldn't say concern, but it was something that was noticed a little bit over that Angel series was the pitching wasn't, you know, nearly up to what they've been doing all season. But again, that's asking a lot. So that's a little bit of an overreaction. But the point is, is eventually when all these things start to click at the same time consistently, it is going to be scary. And that's all we're trying to say. So, you know, other names, I guess, too, you mentioned it. I wanted to qu- quickly say it was Kevin Biggio. He's been a lot better since coming up from AAA Buffalo. Um, we know that he hit really well when he was down there. He finally came up last series. He kind of came up because the Jays were planning to give a lot of their starters, you know, some rest during that Angels series. So ever since he's been back up, um, he's had four hits, three walks. He's stolen a base. He's played all over the diamond. That's exactly what the Jays need out of him. He had a really clutch base hit today, or it was a double today in the Thursday game. You know, you like what you're seeing from him a lot better. You know, Santiago Espinal is another guy I'll, I'll give a little bit of a shout-out to. You mentioned it, Jacob. He's been dealing with that base hit or that base hit streak all season. Came to an end a, little, a short while ago. But he's also a guy who had to step up in the leadoff spot over the course of the last two days because George Springer was absent due to a non-COVID illness. He, so Espinal had a leadoff homer on the Wednesday game. He went 3-for-5 today as well. You like to see it. All these guys, in terms of what I've, I've listed and what you've listened as well, Danny Jansen's a guy that I didn't li- list, but you did. And, of course, he's also in this conversation as well. All these guys are starting to heat up, and they're all having the same positive effect on the lineup because at first, this wasn't the case. Everyone was struggling in the exact same way in terms of runners of scoring position, strikeouts, chasing, you name it. But it has completely spun around ever since that St. Louis game in terms of Game 2, and you really like to see it. And it just feels like everything's going to come together. But in terms of Alec Manoa, quickly we'll touch on him before Hunjin Ryu. I know how you feel about Alec Manoa. um, And we've had many conversations about it. And of course, I'm sure everyone knows, or the entire fan base knows how we feel about Alec Manoa. First, or he, today was his 30th MLB start. And it's pretty remarkable when you put the numbers together, what we've seen from last year uh, and then what we've seen from this year. It's pretty much been over a year now since he's made his debut. But over the course of his 30 starts combined from 2021 to this point in 2022, he's gone 23-7, and which is insane. I know wins and losses don't necessarily matter as much for a pitcher. But to see that the Jays win this, these amount of games when Alec Manoa is pitching, it is truly remarkable. A 277 ERA, almost 107 or over 175 innings pitched, 184 strikeouts, and his opponents are batting under 200 against him. So you see the start today, you feel a lot better. It was obviously the best start what of what we saw uh, in terms of this series because again, Kevin Gosman wasn't exactly the greatest. Um, he was battling Hunjin Ryu, got injured. 
you know, Hunter Rio goes down again. I mean, we're going to talk about this too. I'll mix it in a little bit. The second time this season he goes to the injured list with the same issues that he dealt with before with left forearm inflammation. Um, you know, what are your I got you know what are your thoughts in terms of Hunter Ryu? Because I just think for a guy who appeared to be turning that corner ever since coming back the first time, he really appeared to be on that other end of you know the spectrum of what we saw last year. He goes back to the IL for the second time this season with the same issue. You know, it just it truly is disappointing, and it does suck to see that he was on his way back to being a lot better of a pitcher, and now he goes kind of it feels like he goes back to square one. Well, first off, if I'm not mistaken, this is his second straight start leaving with an apparent injury. So, correct. I, yeah, it's obviously I'm not going to say that like the last start and this start are the exact same. I don't actually remember off the top of my head, but like obviously people get injured. This is professional sports. I get that. But what I found really interesting is Hyunjin Ryu in his post game interview was asked, "Should you have gone into this game?" And he said, "Going into the game." I believe I should have. He he wanted to pitch. I, I don't blame him. But he said during the game, he regretted that decision. And I know it's not just him making that decision to go into the game, you know, to make that start. Obviously, there's a lot of other people involved. But to me, this is the wrong decision to put him into this game. Like, you can push him back one start if you need. Like, realistically, if he starts against the Twins, like, the Twins kind of are, are like, not a good team. So you can throw him in there. In that rotation, you can probably put, I think, who did I mention? Who's starting tomorrow um, or in the next game? I think it's, Kev- so Yusei Kikuchi starting in the homo- or the, the series opener. You can swap those two or maybe, you know, put Manoa game two and then Kikuchi game three, Ryu, you know, game game one, whatever. Like, I know it's not as simple as that, but the fact that he was, the fact that he said that he was confident, but then was not confident halfway through the start and then eventually left with an injury proves to me that something wasn't right and he was trying to prove that he was healthy enough to pitch despite not necessarily being healthy enough and it'll be interesting i know pitchers now have to miss uh, a mandatory 15 days it's not 10 days like the rest of the position players so you know there's two weeks of of probably ross stripling in your rotation who i'll be honest i hate to say this i know you're paying 20 million dollars for him but i'd prefer ross stripling in this rotation right now because he's proven that he can get outs when need be, and I, it's unfortunate. Obviously, you don't want somebody to to go through these types of struggles, especially when you are paying him a lot. And you know, a friend of of mine and I were discussing this. Uh, I think a couple days ago, we we're saying take this in. Ryu is going to be their fifth starter, and I was thinking, wow, Kikuchi's doing well. The top three's doing well. Ryu's even doing you know pretty well. It's looking like it's going to be a really good rotation. And then he goes down with another injury, and. You hope that, obviously this is the second time with the same injury, you hope that this isn't, like, ridiculously delayed in terms of him getting back. You know, I'm assuming he'll go to rehab in in Buffalo. But if this is an extent, or an extensive injury where he's out for, you know, a long period of time, to me this almost reminds me of the George Springer issue where he came back a little too early, maybe shouldn't have been pitching, or, you know, for Springer playing, but... To me, the fact that he was playing said that he was confident, wasn't necessarily confident. It's, you know, it's it, to me, it's not a good look, I think, for the Blue Jays and their training staff. And it'll be interesting to see how much time he actually misses. I know, so it's it was June 1st that, that the, or I think it was June 2nd when the injury was announced, but June 1st when he left the game. But it'll be interesting. Does he come back before the end of June, before, you know, mid to late July? 
I, at this point, I really don't know. And, you, you know, you hope that he does. Obviously, he, he is a big part of this team, and he was a big part of this team a couple of seasons ago. But to me, I think the fact that he he goes into this game and he comes out with the same injury and says that he shouldn't have pitched or that he regretted pitching is is the worst part. And I think that if you're the Blue Jays pitching staff or, or really the training staff and anybody involved, I think you have to you have to do a better job of that. You cannot send a guy out who seems confident but really isn't confident because now this is costing you, you know, at least two, three, four starts, and we'll see how they can manage it. I think the team can manage it. It's not that I don't think the team will do well without him. It's just the fact that he's not playing now when he really, you know, missed two starts. Maybe maybe misses the start in the rotation against the, the White Sox and misses maybe one against the Royals. You can rebound, or excuse me, the Twins. You can rebound from that, but now you go out and you overexert yourself, and I think that was the wrong move. It's just it's tough because inflammation, like you don't you don't know how long it'll take before it goes down or before you feel pain free. It's one of those things where you know you want to try and throw a little bit, you know, not from too far, obviously, but. Again, you can't. It's one of those things that you can't rush, and it doesn't seem like he rushed it the first time because he felt he pretty much said when he first came back that he one it was one of the greatest uh, times I guess he's ever felt in a long time in terms of physically. And then of course he goes out and again before what I mentioned a couple minutes ago with you is that it felt like he was pitching really well and he was getting a lot better. And then you see the last two starts. You see this start in particular, um, his last start, which happened on the Wednesday game. You know, everything about it just seemed off. I mean, his velocity dropped to 87 on his fastball. He didn't have a lot of movement, and that was one of the reasons why um, the White Sox were able to hit him well. So he goes to the IL again. The first time he was placed on the IL in April, I believe it was like it was April 17th, he came back on May 14th. So if you do the math, it was about a month. You don't know how long this is going to be. I don't know if it's an equivalent. Again, it's hard to judge inflammation of how long it'll take, but it's just road roadblock after roadblock for Hunjin Ryu ever since at you know the middle point of last year. And it just every time you feel like you're getting closer, you you take a step or you go back to square one. And I think that's the most frustrating part. You were mentioning it. Ross Stripling is almost certainly going to fill in his spot in starting rotation once again for the time being. I agree with you. I think Ross Stripling, I'd rather Ross Stripling starting over 100 new any any day of the week as it stands right now. He had really good outings, or he had really good serviceable outings during the time when Ryu was injured. He wasn't exactly stretched out Stripling, which is why he wasn't pitching a lot. Probably going to take him a bit as well to be stretched out fully as a starter again because he's been a reliever for the last couple of weeks. So anything about five or six innings, Ross Stripling, I think that's fine. We'll take it any day of the week. And in his absence in the bullpen, because he's moving to the rotation, Jeremy Beasley has been recalled from AAA Buffalo. He's gone out into a really great start this year. I think he's got an ERA under two, I believe, in about 10 games with the Bison. So he gets a chance to, you know, maybe be a, a part of this bullpen because we were talking about it. There's a couple issues with this bullpen that have been happening over the last couple of weeks. Still believe they're missing that swing and miss guy. So Jeremy Beasley gets that opportunity to come up for the time being, and we'll see what happens with that. The one question I wanted to ask you, um, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, maybe you say yes to this. It's just it's interesting because Nate Pearson is on his way back still. Uh, he's currently building himself up as a starter. He's currently in AAA Buffalo. He's getting closer and closer to being ready. You know, it's safe to say, well, I shouldn't say it's safe to say, but it feels like it's more likely that Nate Pearson 
is activated and back before Hunjin Ryu is back, which means that's another option in terms of the starting rotation if you want to give Nate Pearson a look. Do you support the idea of giving Nate Pearson a shot? Or, you know, most likely he will start in the bullpen, but do you think he should get any starts down the stretch? Down the stretch, 100%. Like, I'll say that right now. He should get starts. He should get opportunities, especially if Ryu's not in there. When Ryu comes back, or if... It's fair to say that he will come back, but, you know, whenever that is, I'll leave it up in the air for that. But in the immediate future, maybe, uh, you know, at the start of June. So I'd say within the month of June and, you know, and half to all of, of July, I think it's fair to say, We'll probably see a lot of Nate Pearson. You know, I think it was a couple seasons ago I had him in the starting rotation in our predictions episode. I don't think I had him in this year's episode just because I think his injury came before that. But I see a starter out of Nate Pearson. And it's fair to say, yeah, throw him in the bullpen, have him be a right-handed equivalent of a role as Chapman. I see him as a starter. And especially if he can get stretched out and he can stay healthy. Like, you, you cannot teach a guy to throw 105 miles an hour like you can teach a guy to throw a good curveball but what Nate Pearson has is just pure talent and I don't think you want to waste that until you absolutely know he is a reliever I think it's fair to say they give him a lot of starting opportunities or at least maybe they go with an opener and I know we haven't really said that word since 2000 and maybe 1920 but if you want to go stripling and Pearson half of a game or you know stripling most of the game Pearson come in or vice versa, or any of those types of situation, absolutely go for it. But I wouldn't be surprised if Pearson gets a lot of opportunities in these next couple of weeks because he is, you know, he's he was what like what their number one prospect or or top five prospect for a good while. Like you're you're not going to waste that talent or at least not give that talent the opportunity to flourish. I think it's fair to say we see a lot out of him. It just the problem is, is it depends on when Ryu comes back and it depends on how well him and Stripling do because if Stripling does well, I don't really think you take the ball away from him because that would, you know, if I was Stripling, I'd be a little bit disrespected by that, but it'll be interesting to see how you now kind of have three guys. We talked about how the offense is a little bit crowded. You have three guys kind of positioning for that long man slash fifth starter. If Ryu's out for a while and Stripling and Pearson are equivalent, I don't have the answer, at least, you know, right now, obviously, Pearson's not back yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a lot of starting opportunities just to prove that you can at least last five innings or four innings and then hand it off to the bullpen. So I'm interested to see what he can do. You know, it the key for him is command and health. If he can manage those two, I think it could be a, you know, a long season of Nate Pearson. I mean, yeah, he's on his way back. He's getting very close, and the timing's there now because of uh, 100 news in, you know, unavailability throughout the next month, maybe. So I agree. I, I don't think it should be set in stone with Ross Stripling. I think he deserves to be there, you know, even when Pearson's back to give him a couple of give him a couple of starts, and then maybe reevaluate from there. Maybe if Pearson pitches well from where he's going to be pitching from in terms of a high leverage guy, maybe a guy that's stretched out. Who knows what his exact role is going to be. The only thing we know is that he is being built up as a starter. So that gives the Jays that opportunity. So if he pitches well, maybe they keep him there. If he struggles, maybe they move him. I mean, it's, it's, it's all something that they can figure out. Nothing is set in stone, but I feel like it's, I wouldn't say certain. I just have a very, big hunch that it is going to happen where he get, he does get the opportunity to start at some point. And then the real question when that happens, and who knows how he succeeds, but if he succeeds and if he pitches well, 
Um, and I guess you can even throw Ross Stripling into this, you know, do you reevaluate where Hajin Ryu is? I know we've talked about this before. I know that he's got a lot of money left on his contract for the next two years. We know this. He's set in stone for 2022 and 2023. At the time, I don't think any of us really came to this point, but it's just, it's a question mark in terms of his health. And it has really nothing to do with his performance. I think it's really changed since he's gotten back because he's pitched a lot better, again, like I said about 10 minutes ago. It's not like he is struggling, but... The health now remains a problem. I mean, we've talked about it so many times. He prefers pitching the extra day of rest. We know that all the little things that he kind of prefers here and there. But if Ross Stripling continues to pitch well, if Nate Pearson maybe gets a crack at the starting rotation, if he pitches well, what do you think happens with Hunjin Ryu? See, this is interesting because I think it was, was it Tanner Rourke or what was his name? Uh, I think it was Tanner Rourke a couple of years ago where they had a lot of money lied or tied yeah, up it was with, within him. Yeah, so they ended up just eating the contract. I don't know if you eat $40 million worth of money over the next two seasons. Oh, obviously next season is a whole different you know can of worms. But in terms of this season, maybe a six-man rotation is what they go with. I highly, highly doubt it. But take this. So here's the thing. If Ryu is in your bullpen... Maybe he's that swing and miss guy if his command is on point. Now, obviously, that's a big if. I I really don't know, but you know, I mentioned with Stripling, if Pearson's doing well, if he's or if if you know either of the two are doing well, I think it would be a disrespect to either of them to just give the other one the name in the rotation because of just you know other reasons. If Pearson and Stripling are doing well enough, or if one of them are doing well enough to start, I think that Ryu. I'm not going to call it a demotion to the bullpen, but move to the bullpen is a fair way to put it. And if you can get a guy that, you know, if he's if he's able to command those pitches, get them where you need it to be, he's never thrown hard. I think we've all really come to agree with that and come to see that. If you can have him in your starting or if in your bullpen, throw, to, like even if it's two innings max, or if you want to have him as a long man, throw three innings or four if your starter gets rocked. I don't see that really as a, as a bad issue. I think it's, it, it would be, like it would be almost like a Ross Stripling 2.0 where you benefit the team in whatever way they need. Will Ryu like that? I, I you know I highly doubt he'll you know he'll like that, but it's it's one of the big question marks. I think we talked all month about uh, when will the offense come back? When will things you know get back to form? When will this rotation get back to form? And when will we see who the true fifth starter of this team is? And there's going to be some guys demoted to the bullpen or moved to the bullpen. Maybe Hyunjin Ryu is one of those names. I think that'll be a very big surprise for a lot of people. If if that is, you know, in case the the what happens, it's a tough one. It's a tough question. It's just, it's hard to say. Like we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see because that's the obvious question or that's the obvious answer. You're gonna give Stripling a chance. You might you may give Pearson a chance. Maybe somebody else gets a chance. I don't know, but. And it all depends on the recovery. Like we're, I think we're expecting around the same timeline as we saw earlier on in the season with him. So there's going to be lots of opportunity. There's going to be a lot of questions that are answered down the line. Pretty much what happens there. I mean, it's just it, it truly is uh, unfortunate for Hunjin Ryu, and uh, we'll see what happens with that when he does get back. So moving on from him, you look at you know we're going to save our May rewards for when all three of us are back. So expect that. Sunday, I think we're going to be doing that. But I guess to give you more of a broad question, you know, we're 50 games into the season now. 
you know, quite a big mark. I know we're not even, we're just over a quarter now. We're not halfway yet. But relatively, we've seen a lot of baseball now with this team throughout the first couple of months. Um, where do you stand on it, you know, in terms of what you've seen in April and what you've seen in May? Kind of relates to what we've said earlier on, but, you know, if you wanted to kind of expand on it a little bit, we've talked about where they sit in the AL East. We've talked about everything else. The wild card race has been competitive. You were mentioning it last week. The offense appears to be finally going. The starting rotation remains a really strength or a strength on this team, the strength on this team still, even with the office offense starting to perform. The weakness, even though it's not even close to last year, is probably the bullpen among a little, you know, other little things throughout the roster. Where do you sit though in terms of where what what you've seen them from them uh, through the first fifty games of the year? I think if there's one way to put it, it's that inconsistencies will kill this team. The offense, when it's going, you can sweep the Chicago White Sox, you can sweep the LA Angels. When the rotation's going, you can shut out the best teams in baseball, even the bullpen. Like we obviously Tim Mays is not there right now, but when you have Jordan Romano, one of the best closers, if not best closer in baseball, when you have Adam Simber, who is still among the league leader in wins, like this is a good team, all three elements of it defense. Well, I guess you can count the defense as the fourth element. This is a good team. They just need to have all three things clicking at the same time or, even if all three aren't clicking, I know that's not realistic to fully expect all the time, but if you can get everything in this team or most of the team to be clicking at the same time, then this is a, it's a lights out team. And I think it's, you know, major league baseball's official Instagram counted. This as the second best team in, in the league. I think it's the second best team. If everything is clicking at the same time. Completely agree. And I just wanted to say the jinxing worked. Tyone has lost his perfect game. The angels are currently leading in the bottom of the eighth. So you're welcome. Um, in terms of that, you know, you were talking about it. The Blue Jays have won 30 games now within their first 50 games of the season. Um, that's the, for the fifth time in franchise history. The last time that did happen was in 1992, and we all know what happened last in 1992, of course. Truly remarkable. I know it's a stat, but they, for a team with all the troubles that they have had, with all the frustrations that have loomed, throughout the first couple of months. You can even include May because things didn't really turn a corner offensively until last week. It's just remarkable to see of how good they are at this point of the year based on everything they faced. You know, you want to look at a season like last year, a team that was pretty much below 500 and hovering around 500 at best throughout this point of the season. Lots of issues were remaining last year as well. Um, it was kind of similar offensively to start, but, the you know, they were obviously better last year offensively, but the bullpen was just a complete disaster. So you look at it this year, and it just truly is a lot better. Crazy still, though, that they're 10 games above 500 after everything they've dealt with. So the last time this happened in terms of winning 30 games within the first 50 games of the season was 1992. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. You've, you know, the team is well offensively 10 plus hits in the last in six straight games. That's insane going from a team who can barely hit a week ago who was chasing at everything. The Jays are also back on pace for 97 wins, um, 97 wins. So, you know, things are looking good. Things appear to be in the right direction. I know you're close to being sold on it. I'm probably sold on it. I know Mark was sold on it last Sunday, so you probably can speak. He can speak for his excitement on Sunday. So we'll see what happens with that. But you know, you're rolling now. A six-game homestand, three against the White Sox are over. Back-to-back -back sweeps. 
Uh, you've won eight in a row this weekend. Jacob, you mentioned it. The Twins are another team that come to town. Uh, they're they're a lot better than, or they've been playing a lot better than the White Sox currently, thirty and twenty three. So Jays are going to have a little bit of a tougher, I guess, opponent this weekend, but. The right in the hot hand, and then of course you see um, Chichi Gonzalez on Friday, and then on Saturday I believe it's Dylan Bundy uh, starting for the Twins, and then on the Sunday game uh, you have uh, Smeltzer starting or Devin Smeltzer starting for the Twins. So not exactly aces starting this weekend. Maybe that kind of gets you excited if you're a Jays fan seeing what is going out for the Twins this weekend. I'll ask you your series predictions though for the weekend. See, I don't want to, I don't want to call a, a sweep and say a nine-game winning streak, but I'm gonna say two out of three. I'm not saying it's gonna be you know two and then one or or one two uh, a win loss win. I think it's fair to say two out of three at least from this team. This like the Blue Jays are playing a lot better. I think than their record shows. You said the same thing about the Twins, but I think it could be an interesting series, and especially uh, Jose Brios looking to eventually get that ERA down, you know, he's looking to have a better season. Why not do it against your former team? I think that, you know, two out of three is, is not the bare minimum for me, but it's what I expect out of this team against uh, the twins. Yeah. I mean, I predicted a sweep this past week. I am on a good note right now. Wait, hold up a minute. So as you guys know, I wasn't available to record this podcast, but through the editing, Listening back to what was going on, I heard Bryson say that he predicted a sweep. That's incorrect. If you check the tape back in episode 204, he predicted 2-3 to three for the series against Chicago. It's in fact myself who predicted the sweep. I just had to get that out there on the record in the world. Make sure everyone knows it was me who was correct, not Bryson. Anyways, back to your regular scheduled programming. Uh, yeah, I can't predict the sweep again. I can't predict a complete uh, series this week. And I think I agree with you. I'll say two out of three. Chichi Gonzalez is a guy who makes his pretty much his 2022 debut uh, tomorrow night. He's been starting in the minors this year. So he gets his first crack at the MLB or at the MLB this season uh, tomorrow night. You got Dylan Bundy, who Jays fans are very familiar with because of his time with the Baltimore Orioles in the past. And then on the Sunday game, again, you have Smelter. Uh, he's been relatively good as well through four games this year. So you have tougher or you have, you know, not again, you don't have aces, but you still want to be able to hit these guys well throughout the weekend. And you were talking about it. I think one highlight I'll have this weekend is Jose Barrios because it's just it's been inconsistent. You spoke about it when you're talking about the team, but that word came to my mind and reminded me of Jose Barrios, unfortunately, because of the fact he has been inconsistent. He shows pretty much he has a slow spring. He has a slow first couple of starts. He gets going. Then he has a little bit of a hiccup. And then he gets and then he has a really good start again. And then he has a hiccup again. It's been inconsistent. It hasn't been the Jose Barrios that we're used to seeing from last year. That's my highlight, I think, or the one I'm putting a star beside or beside because I'm curious to see what the outcome is. Yusei Kikuchi's been pitching really well. Kevin Gosman, from what I mentioned at the beginning, was battling a little bit this series. Again, he didn't pitch horrible, but he didn't pitch great, and I think that's fair and a fair uh, assessment. So you have to imagine that he's going to want to bounce back as well. I'm pretty confident, and I think you're, you're bang on with a prediction of two out of three. So I think that covers everything, unless you wanted to add anything else. I think the biggest thing we just need to look at is can this offense continue what it's been doing? Because it's looked good over maybe the last, uh, you know, seven, eight games. Can it continue? Because that's the big question. Obviously, we talk about the rotation, you know, all, all that type of stuff. Can this team score runs? 
if they can, this is, you know, if you can score runs on top of the already good rotation you've gotten, this is, you know, it's easily one of the best teams in the league. I agree with you. And it remained constant in California. It made remain constant when they came back to Toronto this week. Can it remain constant for the rest of the homestand? I think so. I think we've seen enough from them. I think they've gotten going. I think they've seen everything or they have gone through everything they needed to go through to get going. All it really did take was one game, and that game appeared to be in St. Louis, knock on wood. Hopefully it continues for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I think that does cover everything, and I think we'll wrap it up there. And we'll be back at the the up or at the end of this upcoming series. We'll be talking about our May end-of-month rewards. I will also be giving our fantasy matchup update between Jacob and I. We are playing this week. The final results will come Sunday night. How about we not discuss that? Because that's a bit of a different story. Blue Jays are doing well. I'm not doing well. A little bit of foreshadowing <laughs> a little bit there, Jacob. But yes, I'm not going to reveal it today just in, because they'll give you time to maybe catch up a bit. But anyways, you can support our podcast by finding us on social media at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. You can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps spread the word of what we're doing. You can listen to our episode wherever you find them, and you can watch them on YouTube as well. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you at the end of the week.